It's great to have Nigel and Cheryl with us again. Just to say that they, uh, you know, they've done some great things in their life. As an introduction to what they're going to say today, I just want to encourage you guys. God does great things with people if we have courage. And our theme at the moment is courage. And these two have courage and have shown courage in all sorts of situations. And I'm sure they're going to share some now because I've asked them to. But I just, I just wanted to uh, honor them this morning before God for their following of the Holy Spirit through their life, whatever the implications. They followed God. And their fruitfulness will be known to God. And their crowns of glory are known to him. And that's where they're headed. So, without making them more embarrassed, Nigel and Cheryl, would you like to come up and share what you want to share? So yeah, in a moment of embarrassment, um, thank you David. Uh, so we're living in Bloemfontein at the moment, which is uh, the third or fourth city in South Africa, depending on who, who you're arguing with. And um, it's about 350,000 people and uh, incredibly diverse and hugely segregated. Uh, and God has uh, called us there to plant a multicultural church. Uh, which we've seen the beginnings of. There's about 20 students and four couples at the moment. And we're very early, very exciting, um, and uh, a lot of need for prayer. But what David has asked us to do this morning is share some stories, uh, way back when, some of them, uh, some more recent. And um, on the theme of courage, now just to say... Courage is not the absence of fear. <laughs> okay, let that sink in. It's not the absence of fear, um, but it is, let's say, uh, sometimes pursuing God in the presence of fear. Uh, pursuing uh, God despite circumstance, pursuing God um, and receiving fantastic joy and fantastic purpose and all the rest of it. Um, so, without further ado, Cheryl. Want to kick us off? As we were worshipping, I felt I wanted to just share two little things before number one. <laughs> <laughs> and that is to let you know that we weren't raised as Christians. Uh, we both grew up, grew up in families that attended church for weddings and funerals. Um, and we messed up quite a lot in our lives. Uh, after about 10 years of marriage, I really realized that I needed God. But my first thing to overcome was that God could love me. And that was the biggest hurdle for me, that I was lovable by God. Um, I was surrounded by many people from the church that David and Jackie were from. Um, and they, unknown to me, were praying for me and reaching out to me. And my first real step of faith was believing what the word told me about myself and accepting God as my father. That was 
the biggest hurdle for me to overcome. And that was overcoming the fear of being unconditionally loved. Um, having done that, God changed their lives incredibly, even though Nigel was still uh, a, a stubborn, rebellious <laughs> husband. Uh, about two and a half years later, with lots of pushing through my unbelief that God could reach Nigel, he also gave his heart to Jesus. Um, and that's where, our, not that our journey started then, but our partnering together in journeying with God started. Uh, in between my salvation and Nigel's, just a little story, it sounds, might sound very silly, but for me it was the first time God really tested my faith in him. And we were standing in a, a time of worship, and the offering basket came round. And I felt God very clearly say to me, give everything you've got, which was five pounds. And I had a battle with him because that was the money that Nigel had given me to buy lunch stuff for the children for that week. And Nigel wasn't saved. And how could I go back to him and say, I've given away the children's lunch money? And I battled. But I decided being obedient to God was more important than upsetting my husband. It seemed a bit crazy at the time, but it was the thing first in my mind. So I, I can't say I joyfully gave that five pounds, I have to be honest. I put it in quite fearfully and then let it go. As I walked out of church that morning, I was crossing the car park and all those fears came flooding back in. What is he going to say? How am I going to feed the children? How do I explain this to him? As I crossed the car park, a lady came up to me, tapped me on the shoulder and said, please don't be offended, but I feel God says I need to give you this 10 pounds. <laughs> and that was a real boost for me in believing that if I take a step out of my comfort zone, God will do amazing things. Very small, but for me it was a, quite a life-changing experience. I have. <laughs> so, it doesn't matter where you are, big or small, the, the thing is to make those steps. And the, A big one was that for us was moving to South Africa. Uh, and it all started very unintentionally. Uh, David invited us to go to a, a conference in Brighton uh, and we went along and we heard a, uh, a testimony from a couple who were in uh, Zimbabwe of all places uh, busy planting a church and uh, God spoke to us both in that <laughs> moment <laughs> really quite funny because we both denied initially that anything was going on but something had dropped into our hearts uh, and we started talking together and, um, and realised that we were being called away from, from home. And um, it's that, has God spoken? Yeah? I'm sure you've felt it. You, you've had a sense that he's saying something, was that God, had I had too much, whatever it was that morning. Um, and so we, because we both heard from God, 
separately but at the same time. It gave us that, that sense, well, this is God. This isn't you know, something I've, in, I've invented. So we were quite young Christians at the time. We hadn't done much in the way of training or anything. Um, but the thing that we had caught hold of was Isaiah 61. Um, Simon Pettit, who's one of the leaders from South Africa at the time, preached to New Frontiers as a movement about remembering the poor. And this stuck with us. And if you've read Isaiah 61, uh, if you haven't recently read it again, um, there's a real sense of God's heart for those who aren't receiving justice. So in the UK at the moment, um, it's the poor people that voted to remain. Um, you know, God's heart is for you. Um, you're out whether you want to or not. Uh, God's heart is for you. You stood for something. You said you wanted to remain. That's not going to happen. Um, and that can feel like it's unfair or uh, you know, it's not God's will or whatever it is. But you know, it's going to happen. There's something going to happen that you don't like. Uh, and so God's heart is for you. But God's heart is also for those um, who are going to leave. And he would say to you, leave well. He would say to you, in your leaving, remember my justice. Remember who I am. Uh, remember the immigrant. Remember uh, the refugee. Remember the, the people that worry, you worry about and you might have uh, voted because of that fear. But remember them anyway and show them mercy and show them justice. And... Um, we received prophetic words. So we went to one couple for, for, for a meal. We said, can you pray for us? And we hadn't told them what about. And they just said, uh, God says you must go. Simple <laughs> as that. He could have said it in an SMS or over the phone. But they gave us a very nice meal during which they said, God says you must go. Go where? They had no clue. They just knew God was speaking to us about going. So there was this building of, of faith through prophecy, through reading God's word, through encouragement from other people. Um, we went to the elders uh, and they joined this encouragement. They were, yes, we believe this is of God. And so we started taking action, you know, talking to the schools, talking to my management at work, um, wondering how we were going to finance this thing, sharing with our family. Now, that's, that's never fun, is it, when you've got unsaved family? saying God has said <laughs> and never gets a good reaction but um, unnecessary and, um, and then we started to see God answer prayer so uh, um, the school were very cooperative uh, my, my employer gave me a year off that's unheard of um, I wasn't paid during that year but I was given a year off so I had a job to come back to if it didn't work out uh, amazing answered prayers and then 10 days before we're due to leave for Zimbabwe, uh, we meet this couple, Pitt and Hetty, who had given their testimony uh, the previous year. And they said, it's, we can't bring you to Zimbabwe at the moment. We're wondering whether we need to pull out ourselves. Uh, and later on that year, they had to pull all the non-nationals out of, out of Zimbabwe. And, um, and so it was like suddenly, nothing's happening. We've, we've made this plan, we've given up jobs. Uh, we were living with David and Jackie at the time because our house had rented very quickly and we had to get out of, 
out of the house and we had nowhere to go. Uh, and at that point, we were unsure, you know. I would even say we had stopped, we'd stopped believing that this could happen. And we went to, um, to we were at Stoneley, we went to our elders, we went to um, the leaders from South Africa that we knew, and we prayed, and people encouraged us and prophesied over us. And uh, God said, go, and I'll show you in Africa what I want you to do in Africa. So we flew into South Africa um, and were welcomed by a local church, Jubilee in Cape Town, um, and they just found us stuff to do. Busy church, lots of opportunity for volunteers to get stuck in, and we had six months with them. God spoke about that being like a capsule, uh, like uh, Tim Pete came down to earth in a capsule the other day. Well, we... Jubilee Church for us was a capsule between Europe and Africa of learning the skills that we would need as we, we moved further north. And, and it was this sense of people with us. You know, when, uh, when we didn't understand or didn't believe what was happening, there were others who did. And um, it was a very stretching time. But we landed in South Africa... Uh, we found a flat, we found a school for the kids, and it all came together amazingly. I think um, God knows each and every one of us better than we do. And I look back now and I think, if I knew 15 years later I would still be in South Africa, I wouldn't have had the courage to step foot on the plane for the first journey. But God knew by sending us for a year, I could step out with the courage to do that. And every step along the way, as God's moved us from one thing to another, he's given me the courage to do it. Because in the natural, I'm not a courageous person. In the natural, I like to sit at the back of church and worship God and commune with God and maybe talk to someone over coffee and slip home. That's that's who I am naturally. And one of the next big steps we had, God took me out of that comfort zone. Um, while we were living in Pretoria, we went to another conference where God really spoke to the African churches through Simon Pettit about how do we respond to the whole HIV and AIDS crisis in Africa. How do we respond to the growing numbers of orphans in Africa? And we had our teenage children with us. We were all at the conference, and we all came away with a real sense that God was calling us to enlarge our family. And enlarging your family in Africa means taking a, a colored or black child into your family. And where we were living in Pretoria, the issue for me was, if we do this... I'm going to stick out because I'm going to walk along the street as a white person with a black child. And at that time, it wasn't, it wasn't common at all. Um, we, we prayed individually. Three were, yes, let's go, let's do it now. And one was, oh, yeah, okay, I know God's speaking, but I, I was honest. I'm not ready to do this. Um, also, 
the children were just about to finish school. One was finishing that year, one was finishing the following year. So going back to having a baby again when your children are leaving home, I was saying to God, but it's going to stop all the dreams I have. It's going to prevent me from doing things that I want to do, you know. And I felt God very clearly say to me, am I opening or closing doors? He didn't give me an answer, but he gave me that question and it stuck in my mind. And we came back to visit in the UK and we went to the Brighton Conference. <laughs> and I went to Wendy Virgo's seminar. I don't have no idea now what she was talking about, but a lady brought a prophecy there. And she said, well, she brought a word really, she said, there's someone here who God is asking them to do something that brings them into the light and they would rather stay in the dark. And I was like... And so I responded to this word along with a lot of other women and, and I was prayed for. And there was a real breakthrough that God knew and understood how I was feeling, but he was there with me. And our experience has often been once we make a heart decision about something, God moves. It's not always like that, but has often been. And so I made that heart decision there and then that I was going to trust God to help me through my fears of being seen everywhere I go. Um, we arrived back a week later. Carlin was put into our care as a place of safety, and she's never left. <laughs> It was a long process to formalise the adoption. Um, there was one point where our residency in South Africa was refused. And that would mean we couldn't continue with the adoption process. And I woke up one night having a real nightmare in absolute floods of tears. And in my, in my mind, I was sitting Cullen on the, the kitchen cupboard and saying to her, it's not that we don't love you, but you're not allowed to stay with us. It, you know, we, it's not our choice, but you have to go back to the orphanage. And I've wept. And we woke up and prayed the next morning and phoned the social worker on the Monday morning because we had the letter on the Friday about the no residency. And we said to the social worker, this is the letter we've had. We don't know what to do. Um, she'd been with us about two years by then, hadn't she? And the social worker said to us, God has placed her in your family for a reason. There must be a way through. And it, it's our constant testimony that when our faith drops, when our hearts sink, someone else picks us up. So we went to the courts and we, by chance, bumped into someone from Cape Town who had just adopted a child on the same permit status as us. And we said, Dean, how did this happen? We've been told we can't. What happened? And he said that there's, a, long story short, the constitution basically in South Africa, it says you have to do what's in the best interest of the child. And having been with us for two years, the best interest for Carlin was to remain in our care. And so we appealed to the court on the basis of the constitution and the adoption went through. For me, that was one of the toughest 
uh, stretching moments to keep believing that what I felt God say in the first place was what would come to pass. And now I look at her and she's the most gorgeous addition to our family. And for us, the restoration in, in us as parents, having raised her as Christians when uh, others weren't, they were eight and ten when we were saved or around there. Uh, there was a lot of healing in that. So it wasn't just about her. It was about what God had planned for us as well. So a remarkable time. Um, are we going to jump forward a bit now to why, why we came to Bloemfontein? And um, Cheryl had a word for the church about uh, um, where Peter steps out of the boat onto the water and he walks on the water and then he gets fearful or takes his eyes off of Jesus and he falls and he's just near enough to Jesus for Jesus to grab hold of him and pull him back and put him in the boat. Uh, and God asked the question of the church in Clarence through, through Cheryl, what would have happened if Peter had kept his eyes on Jesus? And she felt what would have happened was he would have walked on the water to Jesus and the other disciples, rather than taking the mickey out of him when he got back in the boat, would have joined him out of the boat. And that was the sense that she had. And um, so she brought this to the church and a few people responded. And then later on that, that week, I got an email uh, about, uh, from my son about a company that we dealt with that was selling up in Bloemfontein. And he said to me, I, I, I feel that we should buy this company um, but if we do, who's going to plant the church in Bloemfontein? <laughs> and uh, I'm using two microphones. It's probably confusing, confusing you. Um, so we, we started praying into this, and Gerald's word came back to me. You know, actually, this is getting out of the boat. We were in a lovely area. The church is brilliant there. All sorts of projects going on. Gerald was very involved um, with... Uh, HIV work, I was out in the mountains with the farm churches preaching, having to drive my Land Rover to get opportunities to preach. It was just a great time, beautiful scenery, uh, wonderful people, lovely house, and God says, get out of the boat. <laughs> and you're like, Bloemfontein. Now, not, not many of you will know Bloemfontein, but South Africans close their eyes as they're on the N1 going from Joburg to Bloemfontein. They close to Cape Town, they close their eyes as they go past Bloemfontein. It's not the most attractive city in the world. Uh, it's just a point where you fill up with petrol on your way to Cape Town or on your way to Joburg. And um, we've got this business opportunity and it's bugging, bugging us. You know, once God speaks, it, you get um, this nervous energy starts to build uh, within you. And there's this opportunity... And so this rise of faith, we talk to the elders in Clarence and they are very excited uh, and start to pray with us and for us. And now we've got to find the money to buy this business. And we start approaching banks and uh, people who, so-called uh, people who loan money to businesses, nobody's interested. Eventually a friend offers us a loan. And so the door opens for us to buy this business. And we buy this business...
Uh, and then there's this sudden movement coming on the back of that. So we're visiting schools in Bloemfontein, and the best school in South Africa is apparently in Bloemfontein, and they were full. And they said to us, well, you can submit the forms, but we're full. Nothing we can do. So the morning we submit the forms, we bump into the head teacher, and she says, oh, come into my office, let's hear your story. So we tell her the story. Colin is in her office, sitting in front of her desk, and she puts her feet up on the head teacher's desk in her office as we're talking. And I'm like, we've blown it, <laughs> you know? I mean, what is this child like? And, um, and the, I think the head teacher saw a kindred spirit. She's a very sort of go-for-it type of individual. She's, almost, she's retiring this, at the end of this year. Uh, but she has so much energy and vitality, and uh, she's a born-again Christian, and uh, we were offered a, a place within an hour. I emailed a letter of acceptance to us. Amazing, amazing answer prayer. Uh, then we found a house. It is a terrible house. Um, but every other house we looked at was either too expensive or in the wrong area. And we kept coming back to this house. It has cracks absolutely everywhere. I mean, I've become a plasterer. That's actually my trade now. And every time you close a crack, it opens again because it's built on clay without a decent foundation. And so this house is just sort of gradually doing this and then you pull it together again, then it's doing this again. Crack opens somewhere else. But it's home. Uh, and it's also been home for the church for a while. And, and it's where God wanted us, the community that he wanted us, wanted us in. And, um, and as all this is happening... Um, our church, churches in Clarence are needing to get buy-in from New Frontiers or regions beyond or however we call ourselves nowadays. And, um, and we're waiting. We're waiting to be able to plant church. And people are trying to hear from God for themselves. And we're, we're now paused. We've moved. And we've bought this business. We've got Cullen into school. We've got a house we're moved, but are we planting church? We know we're planting church in our, in our hearts, but we're waiting. We're waiting for the green light. We're waiting for other people to see what God has, has shown us. And that's not easy. And people, people who hear prophetically often are um, a bit out there. Uh, and my, my recommendation to those people is, is use that time to wait and pray. Don't just you know, build your own castle because someone else doesn't see what you have seen. And trust God, because trusting that God will speak to others is the same as trusting that God has already spoken to you. So we were at uh, the Hub Conference in, in uh, um, Dubai, and someone w walked to the microphone and said, God is, God is repositioning people for maximum impact. And things are moving faster than before. And uh, Steve Oliver, who's, who's our apostolic leader, sort of looked at me across the room and said, okay. <laughs> you know, that was, that was it. He suddenly saw what we had seen and, and, and doors were opened again. And so we're now busy planting church and we have people joining us from the UK and from Clarence and what have you. And we're back. You know, the, mo the movement is 
is happening again. Uh -huh. Okay. Nigel's a very factual person. The thing he doesn't very often tell you is the emotion behind the story. And every time we've moved or started something new or done something different, um, it's, it's a bit like you have a cart and a horse and his horse is galloping off and my cart has got the brakes on. Because as women, we see making another home, finding schools for the children, uh, sorting out where the shops are, can you buy what you need to, do they still do the things you know about, um, all the, the more practical homemaking things. And it's, it's quite difficult sometimes to get the balance as a, as a team. Those of you who are single going, it, it's a bit easier and a bit harder. <laughs> but getting the balance between hearing God speak, stepping out and making it work for you. God doesn't call us to leap into the emptiness and see where we drop. He normally prepares a way for us. Uh, he will have what we need waiting for us. We just need to find it. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the balance that we have. That I think it's God-designed because a, a cart operates very well with a, ho a horse and a horse <laughs> operates well with a cart. And a cart definitely can't go anywhere without its horse. So it works well together. But it, we can stand and give our stories and it all sounds very, very oh, glorious and out there. But there's... There's this English saying, you know, the rubber hits the road, and every step the rubber hits the road. And sometimes if the brakes are on, it makes a mark in the road, and other times it runs smoothly. So behind all the glorious facts Nigel's giving, there are real times where we've... Rose is one of my, my confidants. <laughs> she knows that I'm not always the woman of faith I can look like, that I can waver in knowing that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And I can still waver in understanding that I'm the child of God that I'm created to be. And I think for us, knowing our identity in Christ has been the biggest, most important thing in being able to be courageous. If we know who we are, then nothing <coughs> can stop us from achieving what God has for us. If we waver on that, doesn't mean we won't do it. It might just take us a bit longer to get there. And one of our scariest moves, um, one of the most memorable moves, because I think we grew the most in it, was our move from South Africa into Lesotho. Lesotho's a, a little country and it's on its own surrounded by South Africa and we had problems with our visas and they deported us from South Africa to the UK which was scarier on its own <laughs> and during the time that we were about four and a half months in the UK we were asked several times to move into Lesotho by different leaders in South Africa and we didn't want to go it's not a place you would 
necessarily choose to go. I think it's a place, as an English person, you'd need to hear God call you there because it's not an easy environment to live in, a bit like Russia. I think if you're English and you're called to Russia... Yep, the grace is on you, David. (laughs) (laughs) But we, we actually said to our leaders... We need to hear from God. If God wants us there, he needs to speak very directly to us because not a bone in our body wants to go there. But in the same token, we didn't want to stay in the UK either. We didn't feel God had said our time in Africa was over. So we went to the Brighton Conference and we listened. And we We went to every meeting and we heard nothing. And we were quite desperate. In fact, I can remember crying on Nigel's shoulder saying, I really thought God would speak to us while we were away and I really thought we'd know what we were going to be doing and I don't know how much longer I can cope with this. Women's emotions. Um, So we went to stay with friends just down the road in Bournemouth just for a weekend. And we went to their Sunday evening meeting and during worship someone stood up and said this, There's someone here who's wanting to hear from God. I think it must be you. And he pointed to us and he said, God says, do not be afraid to cross the river. The river is the border between the part of South Africa we were in before and Lesotho. He says, I can see you've been like trees under the shelter of another tree. And God says he wants to uproot you and plant you by streams of living water. When Maseru Church was planted the year before, they had a prophecy. God says, as a church, you will be like streams of living water. And God will uproot trees and plant them in your church. So we were like, okay. And then he says, oh, I see mountains. Lesotho is known as the mountain kingdom. And he says, and I see a man-made mountain set before you. And for us, the man-made mountain was the undesirable status for South Africa. When we were deported, we were told we could never return. And so for us, that was the biggest issue. If we go to Lesotho, we can't cross the border for medication. We can't cross the border for shopping, we recognize we're stuck within this small country and unless we can fly out to another country, we we can't go anywhere. And what he said to us was, God says when you step out, he will bring that mountain to nothing. So we went home and prayed and spoke to Steve and said, God's spoken. And within about 10 days, we got on the airplane through into Johannesburg Airport, directly into Maseru. Um, Quite, not quite, extremely nervous, not really knowing how we were going to cope there, not being able to have contact with people in the churches around unless they came to us, not being able to have instant medical care if we needed it for Colin, that sort of thing. Uh, the language is very different. The, where we lived, there was no one else with English. <laughs> um, English is a second language, but no other English people. And it was, for me, the most nerve-wracking time. 
Six weeks after we moved into Maseru, following an appeal, our undesirable status was taken off and we now have permanent residency in South Africa. <laughs> We're just trying to confuse Nick here um, with the. So, one final story then, and this is this is uh, a recent one. So, uh, I had a lovely, lovely car. Um, it could be an idol if I wasn't careful. Um, as Land Rover, and you know what Land Rover people are like. We're weird, bearded people, you know who drive down in the middle of nowhere, break down, rebuild their Land Rover and drive home again. I mean, this is what Land Rover people like to do. And, um, and Cheryl's got a back problem and we felt together that we must, we must sell my baby. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so we did. Uh, much pain, pain involved. And uh, I was looking on the internet, how much can you buy the Land Rover that I owned for? And, uh, and I thought, well, that's more than I paid for it. So I put it on at the price that I reckoned. Uh, and I got more than I paid for it. I got 500 pounds more than I paid for this Land Rover. And I was like, I was happily unhappy, if you can imagine. You know, I'd got lots of money, comparatively, um, and hadn't got a Land Rover anymore. So I was happily unhappy. And we, um, we were looking around. Well, what can we get that can do similar things to a Land Rover, but can also give Cheryl a nice, comfortable journey wherever we were going? And there isn't much out there, to be honest. Um, not within our price bracket, anyway. The Porsche does, is, is not yet in my price bracket. Um, and so we're looking around, and we think we found the ideal car, it was a VW something or other, uh, with all the bells and whistles and air suspension and everything. So I, I phoned a guy who's got one in Joburg. He says, it's 100%, it's beautiful. You'll love it, you'll come, you'll give me the money, you'll drive it home. So I flew to Joburg, which is um, a little bit of money lost, and, um, and I get in this car and the air suspension doesn't work and the synchrometric gearbox doesn't work, uh, and it's got buttons hanging out. I'm like, how is this 100%? This is rubbish on wheels. Um, and so I then had to pay for a flight home because I didn't have a nice new car to drive home. And we were like, oh no, we've, we've missed it. You know, we should have hung on to the Land Rover. Me saying we should have hung on to the Land Rover. And then, so we're scouring around and we, th we look around locally to us and there's one car in Bloemfontein that um, meet, meets our needs. And so we go and have a look at it. It's a bit overpriced. Well, everything's overpriced in my book, but it's a bit overpriced. Uh, and we, we think, well, we'll test drive it because if, if it feels right, then we know which make and model we need to go for. So we test drive this thing, it was spotless. I mean, everything worked, electronic or otherwise. It was clean, you know, remarkable car. Um, but it was a thousand pounds more than we had. And so we said, okay, so we know this is the car we want, but we've got to find a cheaper one. And then Cheryl's speaking to God about it. And uh, he reminds her that she's not prayed. She's not prayed about this car. You know, we prayed about the Land Rover and the VW, whatever it was, and all the rest of it. 
but we hadn't asked, her for this, asked God for this car. So we asked God for the car, and I phoned the salesman the following morning, and I said to him, okay, we're going for this type of car. The only question is who owns it at the moment. Is it you or is it someone else? And then I told him what the budget I had. And he was like, well, well, I'll have to speak to the boss. So off he goes and he speaks to the boss. An hour later, we get a phone call to say, yes, we'll sell it to you at that price. So we, we, we get, got 500 pounds more than we paid for the Land Rover and we got the the other car for a thousand pounds less than they advertised it. Uh, and it's eight years younger than the Land Rover. I mean, this is, this is crazy. This just doesn't happen. But it does in the kingdom of God. Yeah? Because God wants Cheryl to have a comfortable ride when I'm driving in the mountains. Yeah? She doesn't want her to be bounced around all over the place. And it's the same for whatever he has in front of you. Yeah, whatever purpose or call he has for you, it's exactly the same. You know, there are, there's steps of faith. Uh, there's weird places to go to, like Hatfield. Yeah, weird place to go to. Maybe you're here to study, but you're not here to study. You're here to advance the kingdom of God. And there's four words I want to leave you with. If you write notes, then this is the point to get your your notes out. So you'll notice we said often we were at a conference or we were in a church meeting or what have you. So where you hear what about your calling and your purpose is in the presence of God. So the first word is presence. Get into his presence. If you're asking him questions or you're asking questions of life, whatever it is, get into his presence. Get surrounded by people. Yeah? People who are going to encourage you, who are going to believe God for you. Uh, listen for the prophetic yeah, so that's the third P there, prophetic. Presence, people, prophetic. Now that might be scripture or that might be someone having a picture. We've seen both come together. Um, and it will correspond with where your passion is. Yeah? So he won't be asking you to do something that is a surprise. Yeah, it'll be where your passion. So it's the presence of God, it's the people around you, it's the prophetic, and it all comes together with your passion. You might have noticed Cheryl was passionate about children. I mean, I'm also passionate about children, but Cheryl is passionate, passionate about children. So what does God ask her to do? Get involved with children. The fact it's the other side of the world is neither here nor there. You know, when she was in Brentwood, she was involved with children. It's the same. Where is your passion? And so you don't need to be afraid. You can be afraid, because as I said at the beginning, you know, courage is going on uh, with what God is saying uh, in the presence of fear. It doesn't, doesn't change. It, he is asking you to make steps of faith. They wouldn't be called steps of faith if they were easy. Uh, so where are you in this? Sorry, I've forgotten your name. So you're making your steps of faith, aren't you? Yeah? You're there. You, you, you understand everything that we've said because you're right there. You know? um, the team that are going to Russia. You know, have you seen Russian bathrooms? <laughs> yeah, you're making steps of faith. It's, uh, <laughs> it's beautiful to see. Yeah, well done, church. Uh, it might be something very simple. It might be the five pounds in your pocket. Uh, that God's asking you to surrender to him. Or it might be um, something much bigger in your mind. 
but they're all the same to God. It doesn't matter whether it's moving continent or giving five pounds. It has the same value in God's kingdom. So thank you.